Welcome, curious minds, to the Charmonium podcast that takes you on an exhilarating journey through the fascinating realms of the very small all the way to the cosmic mysteries that shape our universe. I'm your host, Elias, and I always wonder what happens when you dive deep into the heart of an atom or how particles can exist in two places at once or the curiosity about the cosmic wonders that stretch across the vastness of space and time. Charmonium is here to demystify the enigmatic world of quantum mechanics, reveal the secrets of subatomic particles, and explore the cosmic marvels that surround us. In each episode, we'll break down complex concepts into plain, everyday language. We'll share stories of scientific discoveries, introduce you to groundbreaking research, and bring in experts who are in the forefront of unraveling the mysteries of the universe. Whether you're a physicist or someone with a glowing curiosity about the cosmos, this podcast is designed for you. We believe that understanding the mysteries should be an exciting and accessible adventure for everyone. So fasten your seatbelts and get ready to embark on a voyage through the quantum universe. Join us every week as we explore the strange, the remarkable, and the exciting. Welcome to the Quantum Universe. Alright, so what is quantum? So if you take the world that we're living right now in everyday, day-to-day lives... It's governed by classical physics, but if we shrink down to subatomic particle levels, we're gonna have we're gonna have to discover another level of physics, quantum physics. So in quantum physics, what makes it stand out is that the idea of ditching down all the certainties that we know and replacing them with probabilities, or better known as uncertainties so this is already weird so how can how can it be more weirder than this so if we take an example the wave particle duality so we have a electromagnetic wave that acts like a particle and vice versa so particles may also behave as waves so and we cannot catch like each of them acting as particle and wave at the same time. So this unpredictability of the wave-particle duality goes back to the dual-slit experiment. So basically, imagine if you have a box and you cut two slits on one side of the box. Then you shine a light beam and it passes through the two narrow slits that you just cut. It would diffract and interfere with each other forming interference patterns that confirm the wave-like nature of light. So now light, oh, we know light is probably a wave because it, it displays and acts like a wave, right? So it probably is a wave. But to confirm this observation, they shown a beam of electrons. Since we know that electrons are particles, there's no chance of it acting like a wave. And then we can confirm that light is indeed a wave. So they shown it on 
two similar slits. And classical mechanics uh, predicts a certain path that these electrons will pass through and they will display like only exact two slits of the electron beam. But instead, the electrons created an interference pattern. So this phenomenon shows that electrons too exhibit wave-like properties. So it's not so basically it says that light is not a wave. It says that light is a particle that acts like a wave. This is like the best fit of the description of light. Now we know it as particles, which is photons. And of course it's vice versa. So waves or more exactly electromagnetic waves act like particles. So another concept of how uncertain quantum physics is, which is ironically enough, it's called the uncertainty principle discovered by Heisenberg in the 20th century. And during that time, physicists raised on discovering more about quantum physics and the particle behavior in general. So he developed an approach in quantum physics called matrix mechanics or quantum mechanics as we know it now. So basically in which we know the motion of particles described in pure mathematical form. And the uncertainty principle classifies as a result of this approach. And in brief, it says that a certain pairs of particles' properties cannot be determined spontaneously with absolute precision. Then he formulated an equation saying there is a momentum of a particle and there is a position of a particle. And the more you know one of each, the more you get error margin on the other. So the more exact the measurement of position, the greater the error and momentum and vice versa. So if you have a greater precision in the momentum, the least precision you're going to get on the position. But the question begs itself, why do we need the momentum? Momentum is best described as a wavelength. So if you have more precision in that, you'd basically know more about what particle are you dealing with. On the other hand, if you know the position of such objects more, the least you're going to know about the wavelength. Thus, the least you're going to know about the particle that you're dealing with. So one uncertainty leading to another, we move on to the probably the most thought experiment in the entirety of physics, the Schrodinger's cat. So there's a scientist, a well-known scientist back then, Schrodinger, did not like the idea of superposition, which was explained by the Copenhagen uh, principle. So he said, just to prove how ridiculous this is, I'm just going to have a box, a box with no slits eventually. So basically it's a complete darkened box that we cannot see through and place a cat with a radioactive substance. 
The radioactive substance releases when the trigger is pressed by the cat. And if the cat presses the trigger, the cat will die. If it doesn't, then it won't. And be assured that no cats were harmed in the making of this episode. <laughs> and the cat now is in a superposition state, meaning that it's dead and alive at the same time. So other scientists strongly disagreed with the, with this interpretation, uh, one of them being Niels Bohr, a very famous scientist at the time and one of the pioneers at quantum physics, said that there is no such thing would exist in the macro scale. Yes, it might be good for demonstration, but it's not an actual example of superposition. So leading back to the concept of quantum physics, it's still on the subatomic particle level. It's not for cats, it's not for dogs, it's not for humans. So saying I'm in a superposition is kind of incorrect. And now since we have introductory knowledge in quantum physics, let's learn more about the application of quantum physics. Why do we need quantum physics in general? So I'm sure you all heard of it. We have something called quantum computer or quantum computing system. And these quantum computers are not used to make computing faster or make it more efficient. It's a whole another grail of computing. So we cannot compare it to classical computers because it is not designed for that. It's designed for more complex and more sensitive information till now. You know, there might be some other uses in quantum computers that we have not yet to discover, but I believe that there's going to be a whole ocean of uses of quantum computers. And I like what Chloe said, Chloe Abram, in her video about quantum computers. She said that classical computers are like cars, maybe motorcycles, that every other car ha can be faster, can be more efficient. But quantum computers are, on the other hand, are like ships. They are designed to explore a whole another line of terrain and they're not supposed to operate as cars. And the reason why it has much more potential is that we know that classical computing uses bits or binary. Quantum computing uses a quantum bit or a qubit which can represent all the possible values in a given range until it's measured. So we have this superposition, as we explained earlier this episode, and how can it take two, uh, like two states at, a, at one time? Classical computing, on the other hand, is only one value and one value only. So if we can hold more than like a whole lot of range of values until we measure it, then it has to have more, like more processing power and much more, like it has to store much more than any classical computer. But here we are talking about the great potential of it and how amazingly helpful it can be. And still only few resources 
have the ability or do, does have a quantum computer. So why doesn't every household has a quantum computer? Well, one reason goes back to what being still under development. If we look at classical computers and how they started, we look at a a room-sized computer with oil and gears and whatnot. The transistor became smaller and smaller every decade and every year, and it still is. And quantum computers have some flaws. For example, the operating temperature it has to operate on extremely low temperatures. We're talking about millikelvins, which is cooler than the temperature of the universe. And so that's why only few companies can handle quantum computers. If we take a closer look at examples of these companies, we, we of course, we got to mention IBM. IBM had significant impact on classical computers, and now it, it's like it's the pioneer of quantum computers like at this stage. But we take a, another look at other companies such as Amazon and Google and say, wait, wh- what does a software company and a online store has to do with quantum computers? What they share is data. These major companies have countless amount of data. And sometimes it's not good when someone can benefit from this data to their own good while affecting others. So here comes quantum cryptography for the help. So imagine there was two best friends, Alice and Bob. They just love sending secret messages. They don't want anyone to look at them. But there was a tricky problem, right? There was Eve with a black hat. Eve always wanted to know what they were talking about. So Alice and Bob just thought of a clever plan. When Alice wanted to send a secret message to Bob, she put it inside a magical invisible box and locked it with a special key. And only Bob has that magic key to open the box. And then Alan's sent the lockbox to Bob. And even if Eve tried to peek at it, all she could see is just a box that she could not open. So then after the box is delivered to Bob, he can open it with his magical key and unlock it to see what the secret message has. And now the secret is remained a secret, and no Eve could look at the secret message. And in a world with data and data processing and information, data became a vital part of our lives. And how to secure these data and make sure that no one is speaking at it is through crypting it, basically. So, especially sensitive data, we're talking about banks, for example. You don't want anyone to see your 
credit card information and just steal all your money. I remember that we're only discussing the major uses of quantum physics. They're more like quantum chemistry, quantum materials. Right now we're focused on the major headlines of quantum physics. So applications can range, as you said, from data protection all the way to data generation. So we can generate data or information, uh, more correctly, using quantum physics. If you're familiar with MRI, it's in the biomedical field. It's short for magnetic resonance imaging. It's a, a huge device that is used in hospitals to locate tumors and just take images of the brain, mostly the brain. So how does quantum physics is involved in MRI? So MRI uses up the fact that 70% of our body is water. And of course, H2O has protons. And there is something, a hidden property, in each particle called a spin. I know it's kind of confusing, but a spin is not a physical it's like a it's not a physical twirling around itself. It's not like a planet. But it's called a spin for some reason. So um, a spin basically is like a tiny magnet inside the particle. And these magnets usually point in random directions. But the MRI machine is a giant magnet itself. So it sends out a special signal that makes all those tiny magnets inside uh, each particle temporarily line up in the same direction. Then the signal of the MRI machine quickly turns off, and the spin becomes random like, once again. And that's, and that's how they, like, they pick up from the sensor of the MRI, they pick up these signals and turn them into a picture, telling the doctors and experts what to expect or what disease or tumor, maybe God forbid, do the patients have and then taking actions for treatment. One of the treatments of tumors being a proton therapy, which is involved in radiation physics. Specifically, we're talking particle physics in general. And that's going to be the topic for our next episode. Thank you, amazing listeners, for joining us today on this electrifying journey through the quantum universe. We've explored the mind-bending world of quantum mechanics, delving into wave-particle duality, the uncertainty principle, the mysterious quantum superposition. We've discussed a couple of quantum physics applications, such as quantum computing, quantum cryptography, and MRI. In our next episode, get ready for a deep dive into the particle world, in which we're going to discuss the beginning of the particle, quarks, the standard model, the Big Bang theory, and much more. We are truly grateful for your support and curiosity. Remember, your questions and feedback fuel our mission to make science accessible to all. As we part away today, there's a quote by Richard Feynman, one of the greatest minds in quantum mechanics, saying, if you think you understand quantum mechanics, you don't understand quantum mechanics. 
which is just quite encouraging of him and it's quite interesting. This is Elias, and this was Charmoniums, welcoming to the quantum universe. Thank you.